I would say I always, to a certain extent, knew that something was going on that with me that I, there was there was something different. We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becky, oh, well placed. On Saturdays, after long weekday hours working at UCLA, Andrew Goldstein gets in his car and makes the drive south. Arriving at the Skating Edge in Torrance, California, he puts on his skates and steps out onto the rink to play for the LA Blades, an adult rec league ice hockey team. Do your teammates know what a legend you are? <laughs> Yeah, I think my uh, my current teammates maybe um, you know they they keep the legend alive more more than I do is probably a good way of saying it. There are a lot of so-called legends in adult rec leagues, players who hit game-winning shots to win national championships, players who became the first in their hometown to play pro. They're older now; they have full-time careers at desk jobs and schools, in hospitals now. Andrew Goldstein is one of these adult rec league legends. But his story of greatness isn't punctuated by any trophy or specific moment. His story isn't even about hockey. It's about lacrosse, the sport Andrew got hooked on as a sixth grader growing up outside of Boston. I think it was pretty much instantaneous for me, having played ice hockey and seen my siblings playing sports and kind of the value system that my dad passed on, which was basically being good at sports and, and competing and winning was, was everything. And my sister was an outstanding ice hockey goalie. She made it all the way to the junior national team and played college hockey. And, and so I saw her as being, you know, one of the best players in the country at her sport. And that's something that I wanted to do. So the first game, I think when I played lacrosse, I had, I scored six goals and just, it was so exciting to just be natural at it, be, be good at it. And then when I started playing goalie, it was a whole other thing that I could stop shots and then also try to run up with the ball which is something I always did when I played so I don't think it took long to to fall in love with the sport. It was around the same time he discovered a love of lacrosse that Andrew came to discover something else about himself. I would say I always to a certain extent knew that something was going on that with me that I, there was there was something different. I have two gay uncles basically my mother's brother and his husband long you know they've been together many many decades so I grew up around having gay people close to me but I also got the message that that wasn't okay even though we you know we accepted them but it wasn't a viable option for a child to, to grow up and become gay and I remember going to summer camp when I was little and people being around a Playboy magazine and the things that 
some of my friends were saying about it, I didn't feel myself. And I knew for as long as I can remember that, that there was something different, but then it, it really is something you can kind of put off until I would say high school when the hormones kick in and people start to become sexually active and you see your friends with very serious girlfriends and knowing that I couldn't do that or if I did that, it would just be a lie. Andrew realizes he's gay. This is like the mid to late 90s, by the way, just for context. And though it's uncomfortable, even a huge struggle at times, he manages to deal with it in elementary school and in high school. Soon, though, he's thinking about being a student athlete in college. And just like he knew he loved lacrosse pretty instantaneously, he knew where he wanted to go to school pretty instantaneously. I know that when I stepped on the Dartmouth campus for the first time when I was in high school, something magical happened. Like I just felt at home, it felt right. And then when I talked to the lacrosse coach, it was, I wanna come to this school. I want this person to be my coach and to, to work hard and learn and, and have fun and all that stuff. He heads to Hanover, New Hampshire to start at Dartmouth in the fall of 2001. So I remember coming in as a freshman and when you're a recruited college athlete, you walk in day one with an automatic group of friends, which is very different than most college students who have to kind of figure out where they're going to find their crew. And so it was great to walk around campus having a, a crew from day one. But on the other hand, it was very clear that there was something I wasn't sharing and I had to always kind of keep up some sort of front and figure out ways to throw them off. And in some sense, if I didn't have any automatic friends from the beginning, maybe I would have kind of not had to do so much hiding because I wouldn't have been around, you know, constantly surrounded by these people. So freshman year, Andrew is figuring out how to exist at Dartmouth. Much of it was the same process a lot of freshmen go through. What's studying and taking classes going to look like for me? How social do I want to be? What does that look like? On the student-athlete front, he's adjusting to going from being a star and a captain in high school to being a backup goalkeeper in college. Add on top of that, figuring out how to exist as a gay men's lacrosse player. And really figuring out how to hide being a gay men's lacrosse player. Then comes sophomore year, a year that would quite literally be life-changing for Andrew. He goes from not just hiding his sexuality, but hiding a person, Ethan. So once I started dating, so yeah, Ethan was my, my first boyfriend, and it actually wasn't as stressful in just the sense that I was so happy. I, it was so wonderful to have someone see in me, you know, more than I could see in myself to, to have his reflection of like my value, my worth that I was good enough to be in love and to have someone love me and respect me. The incredible experience of dating someone for the first time dovetailed with an incredible experience on the field. 
that season, I was experiencing things each week that just seemed so surreal and, and truly unbelievable. Going into that season, I did not expect to even be on the field. And our starting goalie got injured in preseason. And so I stepped in and, you know, never got off the field after that. And so each week it was just like, oh, wow, I get to start another college lacrosse game. And then we kept winning. And not only were we winning, but then I was playing well. And I winning like, you know, player, Ivy layer of the week, um, which was just like, I never imagined getting to that stage. And so little by little things were um, just happening that, that didn't feel real, didn't feel possible. His sophomore year, Andrew helped lead Dartmouth to its first ever Ivy League title, and then its first ever, and still only ever, NCAA appearance against lacrosse powerhouse Syracuse. One moment, or 12 seconds specifically in that game in front of 25,000 spectators, will forever be memorialized in college lacrosse history. Down a goal in the second quarter, Andrew made a save and went on a 75-yard run from his own net to score and tie the game. It was the first goal scored by a keeper in college lacrosse in nearly 30 years. Dartmouth ended up losing 13-11. Ethan was in the stands. And all at the same time, I'm falling in love and, and getting to experience going on dates, even though they were in secret, it was, you know, going on a date with someone that I, I care about. And um, there were, you know, things that happened during the season where I'd start to question, okay, wait, I, I'm playing well on the field. I, you know, I never thought I could be here. And I'm having a relationship with like a kind, loving person. I never thought I'd have that. And you start to kind of put it all together. The confidence he gained from being loved by someone in a relationship and the confidence he gained from being an all-American lacrosse player. They fed off each other and ultimately empowered him to come out. I started to tell some close friends, you know, my roommates and, and close friends, and didn't want to make some big announcement to the team in the middle of a, a run toward the NCAA tournament. And once the season ended, I told my family and eventually my teammates uh, over the summer and... Um, it was all just the kind of thing where you couldn't have predicted it. You know, I, I did not see that happening a few, few months earlier and, and just kind of wanted to roll with it, roll, roll with the high. Andrew was very intentional about how he wanted to deliver the I'm gay news to his team. I mean, coming out to someone is terrifying, especially at first when the words, hearing those words out loud, just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel okay. And we've been trained, you know, we have these, this internalized homophobia from when we're young, knowing that it's not okay to be LGBTQ. And then suddenly you're telling someone and hoping they'll accept you that, that you know, you're gay. So that is frightening each time you tell someone. And then telling my lacrosse team, certainly I felt like I was in a good position rationally, but this is not a rational moment. This is an emotional, terrifying moment. And I was too afraid to just go one at a time through my whole team and definitely didn't feel comfortable just standing up in front of everyone, making myself that vulnerable. So I 
did the thing that made sense to me at the time, which was telling one person and asking him to tell others. And then I didn't have to be there for that moment, but later people did whatever they had to do to eventually come around and, and support me. And then they could kind of say, without us having to exchange those words, you know, they could say, I got your back. And I could say, that means everything to me. And that spared me having to say those words, I'm gay out loud and spared them from having to deal with, you know, how do they react in the moment, which is it's almost so unfair that we put that on other people, this thing we've held on for so long to, and then they have to kind of react in the moment and, and hopefully don't say the wrong thing. So I think it worked out well for me and, and um, ultimately felt incredibly supported by my team and coaching staff and athletic department. In 2005, he graduated from Dartmouth, leaving behind a program he helped catapult to success, along with a whole way of understanding himself and a whole way of others understanding him. It's hard to graduate college and you've had from day one, this group of friends, this identity, this thing that makes you special, makes you different. And especially during our four years where we had won the Ivy League and made the NCAA tournament. And we had kind of turned around Dartmouth lacrosse, at least at that period of time. And so we felt really proud of what we had done and, and what we were. And then, yeah, suddenly you don't have this automatic group of friends right there and you don't have that automatic identity to kind of cling to. And that was scary. And, and certainly as a gay person, I think, being an athlete, being an all-American athlete, you have this massive crutch that you get to carry around where you don't have to be quite as exposed. And I really, I think, leaned on that crutch and didn't recognize until after college how much it was, um, how much it was, it was a reality that suddenly when I wasn't just the lacrosse player, but I was just a gay person, that was a whole other thing uh, to deal with, but um, you know, not not having my teammates right there, not having the the automatic thing that you go do, <laughs> it's um, yeah, a little, a little scary. Shortly after his last college season, though, an unexpected opportunity came up. Andrew got invited to Major League Lacrosse's pro day in Connecticut, and ended up getting drafted. With his selection by the Boston Cannons. He became the first American male team sport pro athlete to be openly gay during his playing career. Being involved in professional lacrosse, it was awesome. I mean, when I grew up, there was no professional lacrosse. There was the indoor lacrosse league, which eventually became the NLL. And so we used to go watch that when I was younger, but there was no professional outdoor lacrosse league. And so that wasn't something I grew up wanting but getting to do it was incredible. And, and the people who played were great and they were very supportive of each other. It was, it was a very professional, you know, mature environment because most of the people worked Monday through Friday and then the team would get together Friday, practice, play Saturday and, and fly back home on Sunday and, and go back to work. So it was a little different than college environment. And it, I think it was a, uh, a, a good workplace, you know, for, for, uh, uh, in that sense. And, um, 
I was just thrilled to get to be a part of it. However, as you heard him say, being a pro lacrosse player wasn't a full-time job. It was during his time in the MLL that he started to see more and more where his future was outside of the sport. You know, I was, I was happy to continue with lacrosse in, in whatever capacity that, that I was able to, but I was also working at a cancer research lab in Boston at this incredible place called the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And so I was working Monday through Friday, growing cancer cells and studying their biology and figuring out how we could block the, their growth. And then on the weekends playing lacrosse. And I loved getting to do research in the lab and so I applied to graduate school. And when I interviewed at UCLA, I just totally fell in love with the program and the campus and the fact that it was sunny and beautiful. And so when I got into graduate school, I knew that lacrosse was something that I would have to, to a certain extent, leave behind. And so I was able to you know, have a couple couple summers in the uh, MLL before officially throwing throwing my my whole self into science, and that's been uh, a great experience for me. Andrew had accomplished more than he had ever dreamed of in lacrosse, and he was incredibly excited about pursuing his PhD. But even still. He admits there wasn't a total sense of closure right when he made the decision to retire. I can certainly look back with a sense of peace, but I think at the time, as a competitive athlete, you want to play, you want to work hard, you want to excel. And as I mentioned during college, I had spent my first year on the bench as a backup, which was something I didn't love. And then I got to figure it out and start and become one of the better players on the team and, and earn these awards. And then when I went to the pros, I was again a backup. And I kind of felt that I would love to keep working at it and see if I could work my way up to be a, a starter and to be a, a top player in the league. And by going to graduate school and, and giving up lacrosse, I didn't get to pursue that. And so I think that was a little tough to say, all right, I got to play professional lacrosse, but I never got to see if I was talented enough or hardworking enough or you know, had the moment enough to be a, a starter or, or a star in that league. But at the same time, I was going to a PhD program and I loved doing scientific research and I took all that energy that I didn't get to put into professional lacrosse into my science and tried to work hard and tried to excel. And it has been something that has given back to me. And I think that, that maybe the, the way I left professional lacrosse gave me something to prove in, in science. And that's helped drive me to where I am in my career now. The self-motivation and hard work required to make strides in scientific research was pretty familiar to Andrew. There was an element of it that kind of reminds me of being an athlete, where when you're an athlete, you can sleep in and go do, go watch TV, or you can get up early and go for a run and go, if you're a lacrosse player, you know, work the, work the wall and, and train. And I found that in science, that no one told you when to show up. You could decide how many days, you, if you wanted to work all weekend and come in early. And that was, 
I found that in science. And so it wasn't something I always knew I wanted to do. But once I did it for the first time when I was in college and I could like get out of it, the effort that I put into it, I knew it was something I wanted to do. He's found a particular passion for cancer research. It just seems if you're going to commit your life to something that requires effort and focus, what a better thing to do than cancer research. And everybody has someone they know and love who's been affected by cancer. So it's, it gives you a reason to get up every day and, and do, do the work. Now he is Dr. Goldstein, an assistant professor in UCLA's Departments of Molecular Cell and Developmental Biology and Urology. He's got his own lab, focused on how prostate cancer begins and how to halt its progression. And during all this time, earning his PhD and saving lives, he stayed connected to lacrosse. For many years after, I was getting regular emails and messages from young people who were coming out or coaches who wanted to figure out how to support their players better or family members who had LGBTQ relatives. And so that's been a way I've been able to stay connected to the game, trying to, you know, give back and um, stand up for young people who are going through what I went through. And hopefully they can know that there are people out there who've been successful and, and been openly LGBTQ and, and that's something they can look up to. So yeah, being able to um, start the courage game and, and support a young person. And, and ultimately that led to supporting a lot of young people. Starting in 2015, the courage game Andrew helped organize is an event that seeks to encourage and support gay youth rebuke bullying, and promote wider education and awareness for LGBTQ plus equality. And it's, it's been good to, to stay involved in that way. Um, and just actually next week, we're doing a pride panel for the National Lacrosse League, the indoor NLL. So yeah, it's, it's fun to kind of stay involved as, in ways that make sense. For nearly two decades, Andrew's story has inspired people. Did you ever think about how you might become a role model like when you were back when you were a sophomore and in, in the weight room with your friend and ended up telling him and yeah the like you said the amount of attention or, or just the the level that you got elevated to yeah i mean when you're in the closet the last thing you think about is being a role model you really have no space to think about other people and that's why it's unfortunately a period where you kind of have to be a little selfish and take care of yourself and, and survive long enough to eventually be happy and get to that place. After I came out, people kept telling me, there's no one else like you. At, at that time, there were really no prominent NCAA Division I team sport male athletes that anyone could look to. I mean, you, you really couldn't find any. And so... They kept saying, wow, if you share this story, it could really be important. And that's when it started to hit me that, okay, maybe I'm out of the survival selfish mode that's kind of required to get through the coming out process. And maybe I can use what I've done on the lacrosse field to try to make it a little easier for, for other people. In between being a role model, teaching, researching, and spending time with his husband, Jamie, 
Andrew finds time to tap into his athlete side with the L.A. Blades, which, by the way, is the oldest gay and lesbian ice hockey team in the country. Having something, having a sport, somewhere to put that energy has been awesome. And then also to be able to play on the same team for 15 years is you get all the benefits of playing sports. It's not just the athletics, but it's also the camaraderie, the support. And, um, you know, it's hard to figure out as an athlete, like, how do you, where do you put that competitive focus and energy and how do you stay in shape and how do you, you know, I've had two hip surgeries and a knee surgery since college. And how do you, um, keep your body in a place where eventually you can, you know, if I get to have a kid, be able to play with that kid and pick them up and, and, uh, be active. So for me, hockey has been a huge help with that. In hockey and in his job, Andrew's been able to put himself in environments that have similar qualities to sports, community, competition, excitement. Finding these spaces after loss and the athletic retirement transition is key, he says. After you finish playing competitive sports, there's a lot of things that you miss. And there's the excitement of being very competitive and there's the camaraderie and the friendship and all of that stuff. And it's not easy to give that up and there's no obvious replacement for it, but there are ways to stay involved with other people and stay involved in, in things that are competitive. And I know as a LGBTQ person, there's sports leagues where people can come together and so you can find that camaraderie. Most offices really don't have a lot of that, but sometimes if you look, you can find the people who uh, maybe think, think like you and people who can support you and try to find the elements that were most helpful and try to recreate them in, in some other way. But I think it's important to recognize that you're not going to be able to recreate the, the glory years and that's okay. It's natural in life to let one chapter end and another chapter begin. So you have to accept it, as you said, and um, find something that does get you excited. Find a way, find a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Whatever it is, you have to find it because that's what's going to drive you as an adult. Thank you to Dr. Andrew Goldstein for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.